Hello again, and welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinsing. Like me, I know you've experienced the healing role that flowers can play in our lives. And if you come from a position of white privilege like me, I hope you've been watching, listening, and educating yourself over the past two weeks as we take stock of the reality that we've ignored systemic racism for too long, and we must speak out against injustice. I also believe as a white woman, we need to, I need to step back and let others speak to power. I have been so moved by the voices and actions of our Black Slow Flowers members and by those who aren't Black, but who are, like me, personally influenced because they have partners and children who are Black. It's raw and on the surface, and certainly centuries of racism will not be reversed overnight. But I encourage you to join me in this self-education and openness to hear. Last week and in the coming weeks, we are featuring our Black Slow Flowers members on the Slow Flowers Instagram and Facebook feeds. Several are past guests of the Slow Flowers podcast, past speakers at Slow Flowers Summit conferences, and flower people who I've featured in articles for Slow Flowers Journal and other outlets in the past. We want to grow our Black membership beyond its disproportionately small percentage. Please help me with suggestions of flower farmers, floral designers, and farmer florists who we need to include in this community. We have a professional development fund set aside to underwrite their membership costs. If you'd like to contribute financially to that fund and sponsor a new member to expand our inclusion and representation, please reach out. You can contact me at deborah at slowflowers.com. I'd love your suggestions and support. Hello again, and welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinsing, episode 457. This is the weekly podcast about American flowers and the people who grow and design with them. It's all about making a conscious choice, and I invite you to join the conversation and the creative community as we discuss the vital topics of saving our domestic flower farms and supporting a floral industry that relies on a safe, seasonal and local supply of flowers and foliage. This podcast is brought to you by slowflowers.com, the free nationwide online directory to florists, shops, and studios who design with American-grown flowers and to the farms that grow those blooms. It's the conscious choice for buying and sending flowers. And thank you to Florist Review Magazine. I'm delighted to serve as contributing editor for Slow Flowers Journal, found in the pages of Florist Review. Read our stories at slowflowersjournal.com. Our first sponsor thanks goes to Longfield Gardens, which provides home gardeners with high-quality flower bulbs and perennials. Their online store offers plants for every region and every season, from tulips and daffodils to dahlias, caladiums, and amaryllis. Check out the full catalog at Longfield Gardens. That's longfield-gardens.com. We all love dahlias, but have you ever thought about wearing a dress adorned with them? Today's guest, Sarah Paybody of Triple Wren Farms, lives and breathes dahlias at the farm she operates with her husband, Steve Paybody, in the northwest corner of Washington State. I asked Sarah to join me on the podcast today as part of our lead-up to American Flowers Week, which takes place soon, June 28th through July 4th, for the sixth consecutive year. At its heart, American Flowers Week focuses on the origin of each beautiful stem, where it comes from, and who is the grower behind that bloom. The campaign also shines a light on floral design, promoting domestic flowers and foliage, inspiring professionals and consumers alike with a new aesthetic connected to locality, seasonality, and sustainability. Created by the members of the Slow Flowers Society, the 2020 Botanical Couture Collection for American Flowers Week presents cut flowers reimagined as wearable art. These designs combine fantasy with reality, imagination with technique, inventiveness with grit. Flowers are fleeting, yet sensory and evocative, inviting us to view the natural world as a true art form. American Flowers Week captures imaginations and sparks curiosity. It is a true celebration of the artists who grow flowers and the artists who design with them. You count yourself among those two categories. Please visit today's show notes at deborahprinzing.com for episode 457 to see the beautiful garments that Sarah created and that are part of the 2020 American Flowers Week campaign. 
In addition to farming and growing flowers, Sarah also runs Triple Wren Weddings, a wedding and event studio. After seeing how popular her farm's dahlia fields were with local photographers and their portrait clients, Sarah fantasized about what it would look like if the people having their photos taken were wearing dahlias rather than only just standing among the flowers. Her idea took hold, and now Sarah teaches Dahlia Dress Masterclasses for designers and floral enthusiasts who want to create, wear, and be photographed in Dahlia Couture. Beyond fantasy, the garments are thoroughly alluring, but also accessible, prompting others to imagine themselves wearing a Dahlia dress of their own. Here's a bit more about Triple Wren Farms. Founded in 2012, Triple Wren is a 22-acre farm in Ferndale, Washington. It is the second growing site for the Paybodies, who in 2016 acquired a distressed berry farm with great soil and water rights after previously leasing land elsewhere. Triple Wren Farms currently grows on about nine acres. The farm supplies cut flowers to wholesale customers and has developed an agritourism focus that includes a U-Pick blueberry field a fall pumpkin patch, flower workshops, and open farm events, including a dahlia festival and a blueberry party. The farm also sells dahlia tubers, growing close to 200 varieties selected for superior cut flower performance. Triple Room Farms Tuber Store has the tagline, Dahlias for Cuts in a Modern Palette. Steve and Sarah Paybody were guests of the Slow Flowers podcast back in 2014, and I've added a link in today's show notes so you'll be able to listen to that conversation to learn more about their history and their journey. I know you'll enjoy learning from Sarah as we discuss her farm, her flowers, and her floral art. Check the show notes where I'll be sure to include Triple Wren's social places and details about some of the farm's upcoming events, many of which are still taking place, just happening later this fall. Let's get started. Welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing, and I am so thrilled today to welcome Sarah Paybody of Triple Wren Farms. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Deborah. It's great to speak with you. Uh, it is great. And we're, we live not that far from each other, but we're doing this over Skype, so uh, we'll, I'll see you sometime later this summer. I know. I've got to get up to the, get up to the farm, which is in Ferndale, Washington, north of Bellingham. You're pretty close to the Canadian border, right? Yeah, we are. We're just about 15 minutes south of it. And I would love to have you here anytime, but face-to-face is so tricky these days, isn't it? (laughs) It is. Well, some people may recognize your name, uh, you know, if only through uh, following you on Instagram. But Sarah and her husband, Steve Paybody, were early guests on the Slow Flowers podcast. And I will share a link to that interview so people could go back and get, like, the full history. We're not going to cover old ground, but... um, it's a wonderful story, and when you when when we did that, you were pretty new flower farmers, weren't you? Was that like 2014 or so, maybe? Yeah, I think that was like year two for us. Wow, wow. Well, Sarah, uh, you're you're not even at that property anymore. So, can you give us a snapshot of Triple Wren and uh, where you are and like today, and what what <laughs> what are all the moving parts <laughs> of your business? Sure. Yeah, sure. So, in 2016, we had the opportunity to buy a foreclosed farm that had been fallow and vacant for about seven years. And we um, were able to purchase it and we have been ever since repairing distressed buildings and um, getting our weed seed bed out of our fields (laughs) and just really starting to grow. The, The farm is about 22 acres, just under 22 acres. And so we have about two and a half acres of blueberries that we you pick. We have about two acres of pumpkins that we do a pumpkin patch in the fall And then we have about nine acres of flowers and um, one greenhouse, mostly field-grown flowers. In our short growing season here in the Pacific Northwest, we try to capitalize on those field flowers in the season when we can. That is just mind-blowing. You have come so far from when I first met you, and you were just planting (laughs) a few few flowers along the side of some land you had, right? Yeah, that's true. We started with five 100-foot rows and... I direct seeded everything and made tons of mistakes and we've just figured it out as we went. That's wonderful. And if anyone um, wants to see what a family farm, a family flower farm is like you uh, and Steve both post, uh, do you both post on your Instagram feed or is it more you? It's mostly me now, but if he ever wants to post, I tell him, (laughs) go ahead. He's just, (laughs) it's not, 
his cup of tea as much, but yeah. <laughs> he makes a ca- he makes a cameo appearance every now and then. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's crazy. Well, um, uh, that's a lot. Nine acres is. I would say you're a medium sized flower farm. You're not a micro farm uh, by any means with that kind of acreage. Is that? Would you agree? Or yes, I think we're a medium sized flower farm. You know, I think here people who are growing on less than an acre, and so I guess in contrast, it's just the the exponential you know, growth of expanding your, your fields is just mind blowing to me. I mean, did you start out when you moved there? Sounds like you had a lot of renovation to do and then you slowly expanded year after year. Yes, it was, it was a slow expansion, but, um, I'd say that the exponential growth was not intentional, but (laughs) something that we sort of stumbled into. And I've learned a lot through that. Uh, we started here with maybe two acres in the front field and then four acres and then six acres because we had the market for it. And we just kept saying, yes, we can grow those flowers for you. And we kept adding to our team and just pouring Mm. our lifeblood into the farm. And I, if I could do it over again, I don't think I would say yes to every opportunity that came by that I could do, but I would have said, let's do some more slow organic growth because it is difficult to keep your infrastructure going, um, growing with the pace that you can grow flowers. So, um, for example, we invested in a big box truck so that we could take truckfuls of dahlias to Seattle. And that was a tool we needed. But I, if I could go back, I would maybe have spent less money and brought rented a sprinter van for the summer and uh, just not serviced as many flowers as possible, just so that I also didn't wear myself out trying to pay all those bills, if oh that makes goodness. sense. It makes you. a lot of sense. And by by having the scale of growth that you've you've uh, experienced, it isn't just you and Steve. You have uh, a crew and, and a team of people that you brought on, right? That's right. So we have um, a few full-time people, one year-round full-time person, and then a few summer full-time people, and then a large harvest crew that maybe works only 15 or 20 hours a week that really focuses their time in July August and September, helping us just harvest in the mm-hmm. mornings. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we rely on our crew very heavily, as you might imagine. It's not physically possible for Steve and I to do everything by ourselves, um, or Steve and me to do everything by yeah, ourselves. Right. But, but what is has been a big challenge in this uh, COVID crisis is that we weren't allowed to have our crew do some of the jobs they normally do. Mm. So we could have them in the field um, thankfully, our rows are about six feet apart, and <laughs> we were able to have them help us plant, for example. But I wasn't um, – our, our business also, we do – I'd say 40% of our business is that we sell um, baby plants and dahlia tubers. And so we um, we weren't allowed to have any of our crew help us in the warehouse ship. And that – Oh, my so goodness. We, it's very – it's very. It's been a crazy April and May. Let me just say that my kids have risen to the occasion. <laughs> it has been team Peabody. Let me tell you. But but what is what is interesting is I had no plan in place. I'm a planner, Deborah. Mm, I'm I know. a business planner. I'm a yep. life planner. I had no contingency plan for what if I lose all my crew at once and can't have them help me. Um, that never once crossed my mind. And I think now going through this situation, it's helped me. Uh, sort of think that I need to spend some time this year making contingency plans and backup plans and having policies in place, even for when we make sales that people know, here's what will happen if there's a pandemic and we can't have our crew help us ship. So um, anyway, it's been a big learning curve. So you're just coming off the big, the Dahlia Tuber uh, store kind of fulfilling all the orders that you were collecting since last fall, right? That's correct. So we shipped um, about 2,200 orders. Some of those orders had two Dahlia tubers. Some of them had 80 Dahlia tubers in them. So we shipped them. And then we also, at the same time, were planting our own fields. So it's right. been a very busy spring. Well, when I interviewed you, and we'll, we'll get to this, but when I interviewed you for the um, current issue of Florist Review, I was really impressed when you explained that you are zeroing in on a particular uh, kind of category of dahlias that you're selling, which is specifically for cut flowers. And so that kind of is a um, curated collection then. I hate that word, but, you know, kind of uh, based on experience, you're not just picking stuff out of a book and saying, oh, this looks like a bestseller. You've already grown these yourself, right? 
Yes, we only sell what we grow here at the farm, and we do um, we grow them right here. We harvest them, we split them, and we store them, and then we sell them. And we say that we do dahlias that are in a in a modern palette mm. for cut flower use. So. Um, it's not just that they are good for cut flowers, but it's also that they are trending colors. And now this year we have also um, one of the, our other passions is the heritage of flowers. And so in Whatcom County, where we live, there are some pretty established um, older dahlia breeders whose dahlias are going to be lost if someone doesn't save them because these um, dahlia breeders won't be around that much longer in the world. And so we're going to start carrying, we've, we've added the Bloomquist dahlia in new introductions from Paul Bloomquist this past year. And maybe they don't all exactly fit that color palette, but we um, are really enjoying doing that heritage line as well as our modern palette and cut flower varieties. And that that's maybe even a different customer, maybe a passionate gardener and horticulturist who's interested in preserving that, that those older dahlia varieties that aren't commercially available. It's exactly true. Hmm. Well, your relationship with dahlias is definitely one that you and I have been speaking about more recently because uh, you have um, agreed to be part of the American Flowers Week Botanical Couture uh, collection for 2020. And honestly, Sarah, I am... I'm just blown away by what you did. Um, for those of you listening, um, we uh, this is like the fifth year that we've invited um, flower farmers, farmer florists, and dis- and floral designers to um, be part of creating a botanical couture collection to celebrate American Flowers Week. And sometimes people uh, volunteer. Sometimes I chase them down. And you're one of those that I chased down, Sarah, because I saw what you were posting and I, I thought I, I selfishly wanted to include your your work. So let's just talk, let's talk about these dresses. But let, before we do, I want to talk about your role as a designer because you do have triple Ren weddings and you have a, a piece of your business, which is floral design, right? That's correct. And before I talk about that, I just want to say how honored I was when you contacted me and am to be included <laughs> in this collection. I truly am. It is a huge deal. Thank you so kindly for oh, including us. Are you kidding me? We, it's mutual benefit. <laughs> well, when we started our farm in 2012, I was convinced. I mean, I knew what a farmer florist was, and I was convinced I could never be one. I would totally love to garden my life away. I would be completely happy to just grow flowers and I did that for several years, and then I just I decided that I should try to improve my ability to design, and so I just started practicing. I made a, an appointment on my calendar, and I started building up my bank of 10,000 hours, just trying to recreate pictures of um, or, or arrangements that I would see in pictures that I liked, because I couldn't. I was a, a disastrous designer. It Nothing turned out the way I wanted so I just practiced every Saturday night with whatever I had available at a farm at the farm for a whole season, and then it was the next spring. And um, each you know each time when you put hours into something and you put your mind to it, you usually you can you can improve, right? right. And I didn't really take a class, or I didn't um, have a way to um, I couldn't really afford some of the awesome design classes that I would have liked to have gone to. We were putting all of our pennies into the flower farm, right? But then. Um, I, it was the next spring, and I, I was like, okay, I should probably put this on my calendar again. And I did for several weeks. And then one day, I was in my farm. We were doing, um, I we were growing beets for the food bank, and I was weeding the beets, which I do not enjoy weeding <laughs> the beets, just so you know. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, man, I can't wait until this weeding the beets is over because tonight is my night to play with flowers. And all of a sudden, I I stopped and I thought, wait. Did you just think that out loud? <laughs> Did you just think that? Are you looking forward to playing with flowers tonight? You're not doing it because you need to check this off your list. And it was a light bulb moment for me. And I decided, um, I realized that I was starting to enjoy it. And um, that summer we started doing small weddings. People we knew, um, just word of mouth, started um, knowing that we designed flowers. And so I, I did that and I had a small team. And now um, last last year we we purposefully only did 40 weddings in the summer of the year. And the two years before that, we did 60 weddings. And um, I just, I have a problem saying no, Deborah. Yeah. I <laughs> mean, that is really a lot it, of that. And that's a crazy number because it is. 
we would do multiple weddings per weekend, sometimes multiple weddings per day. Um, and I, we, I, I grew personally and realized I did not need to do that many. (laughs) I didn't need to, um, grow my business that quickly. So last year we did 40 and with the COVID, um, this year we had weddings booked and we are now doing a total of one wedding in 2020. Oh, honey. Oh my goodness. (laughs) So it is such a strange change. And I know each florist is dealing with this in in a different way. Some people are, are being, are able to book, um, smaller weddings and we are exploring that, but it's just such a drastic change. So, um, I'm excited to see what's going to happen with our, not just our economy, but like with our own farm, what am I going to do with that found time? What am I going to develop? And, and in the past, years when I felt like I wanted to be creative. As you mentioned, I started um, doing fun things with the flowers we had, and we do have some fun ideas that we're hoping to spin out of our farm this summer, but Dahlia Dresses has definitely been one of the most rewarding and personally creative and <sighs> in- inspiring things we've done. Yeah, it, it's it's beautiful. First of all, when I, um, when I had the original idea to do botanical couture uh, garments, and they're not all dresses, but you know, for lack of a better word, we'll say gowns. Um, I really wanted to zero in on like an iconic, one iconic flower as the theme for the dress. And we've done that with many um, of the garments, uh, but some of them have been a little bit more of a high, uh, kind of a tapestry style or, you know, mixed, mixed of field flowers, for example. But having a Dahlia themed garment is so impactful because I don't know why I, I, maybe it's because the wide palette options and the different flower sizes. I mean, what you could have picked another flower and done a dress with another flower, but why, why did you start designing, um, garments with completely adorned by, with dahlias? That is a great question. (laughs) The reason is because I had a lot of dahlias (laughs) and I was just able to use them. It was sort of like a found resource. Right. Um, we grow, when we sell dahlias and we pick and sell thousands of stems each week in the growing season, but they're primarily ball form dahlias, mm. but that's certainly a very narrow slice of what's available in the dahlia family. And and the reason we wholesale those is because they hold longer, they keep their form better. Um, they're just more durable to ship and, and so forth. So mm-hmm. um, I had lots of other dahlias that we would use for weddings, but we might only use them on the weekends and they, you know, they're flowering their heads off all the rest of the year, especially as you get into September here in the Pacific Northwest, those dahlias are really in their prime. And so we just had, I just had this idea one day to try it. And we tried several things. We tried um, different mechanics, uh, cold floral glue, like Oasis floral glue. Mm -hmm. Um, It it worked fairly well, but was very time consuming for this sort of application Um, when applying it. And and the flowers are going to be pretty hydrated, right? So they're, they're, they're a little wet and Oasis floral glue is so amazing because it still works well with wet botanical material, but it takes longer for it to adhere to a woven medium like fabric than it does to a metal bracelet or um, a wired headband or something. Mm-hmm. So uh, we we switched our mechanic and um, my very practical and logistic oriented husband, Steve, said to me when I was having a crisis uh, <laughs> up at a deadline against a photo shoot, why don't you try your hot glue gun? And I said, I rolled my eyes at him. I said, there's no way that will work. It's too hot for the flowers. I'm going to burn my fingers off. But I was desperate enough to try it, and it worked beautifully. So when we make dresses, we take the flower heads off. We take the um, calyxes, the green little Mm -hmm. tiny leaves at the back of the bloom, off. And then we actually put a dab of hot glue right at the center of the back of the flower and hold it for just a few seconds until it adheres, maybe a few minutes longer if it's a big bloom like a cafe au lait, mm-hmm. but um, it really goes on quickly and stays in place very well. But you're you're so right that conventional wisdom has always been, well, you can't use a hot glue gun on uh, herbaceous, you know, cut flowers because it'll damage the petals or the leaves or make them crinkle up. But maybe because you're so specific about where you're placing it, you're not really touching the it petals. And it could be that dahlias have so many layers of petals that even if the back layer of petals is a little bit damaged, I mean, these dresses aren't to be kept forever. They're right. to be kept for 24, maybe 48 hours. We've done up to 48 hours before, but they, um, 
the back petals are camouflaged or, or hidden by the other flowers. Now, another thing that I've had to consider is what type of material I'm I'm gluing too. Mm-hmm. If it's a very um, fragile synthetic material, then the hot glue can damage that and mm. it won't work. But right. you need to have, you know, something that can handle a little bit of heat. Um, and, and, and the hot glue does cool very quickly. So, but then yeah. it also does stiffen the fla- the fabric underneath the flower. So mm. it's also very nice if you can get the um, your model or your um, I can imagine doing this for a real life bride. I would love the oh chance gosh. to do this for a real life bride. <laughs> but um, uh, it's nice if they have an underlay or you do a dress that has a lining mm. so that it's not very uncomfortable and scratchy for the bri- uh, the model to wear. So a woven fabric, not a knit fabric. Yes, a knit fabric can tend. I, I did a dress once, an entire dress in knit fabric, and then it, it the dress becomes so heavy. The flowers are so heavy that they actually pull the knit down and the dress was misshapen right. and the poor model who was trying, she felt like she needed to hike it up the whole time. It was really pulling down, gapping in the front and just, it, it wasn't a good thing. You need a woven material, not a knit material. Well, and I, I am not a fashion designer, so I might be using the wrong terms. Um, I'm not a dressmaker. But, <laughs> but, dressmaker. but Sarah, I suspect that you might be like me and you do own a sewing machine and you have yes. made things from patterns before. Yes, that is true. <laughs> um, when we talked about this for the article, I don't think I actually included this in the article, but I thought you had some really uh, some other really um, interesting tips. One is, yeah, you're not a fashion designer in that you're not trying to start from scratch. You have you work with existing garments that you feel have good fit for the model, and I feel like that's an important point. It's a very important point. So if a if a dress fits a model well and is actually, if it's a little bit snug, that's even better because the weight of the dahlias, like I mentioned, is going to pull that fabric down just a little bit. Um, that is really wonderful. And if I were to just glue dahlias, um, helter-skelter all over a, a dress, it probably wouldn't be as attractive as if I w- it, What we do is we follow the lines of the dress. Mm. So I might um, take the the line of the bodice that starts at the shoulder and goes down to the waist and and start by gluing values along that and then trying to make that shape still look attractive so that the dress doesn't look too boxy or um, too too straight but it still has some shape even though you're adding about two to three inches of thickness to the dress. I feel like where the design comes in, you know, we've talked about mechanics, but where the design comes in is not designing the dress, but designing the way, the choices you're making on flower head size, uh, form, and then color. I mean, that's, that's where your artistry really blows me away, is how you're awesome. putting the palette together based on what's in your fields. Sure. And it's really fun to do several at a time. So you can show off the different kinds of dahlias that I have in my field. We have 28,000 dahlias growing in our field right now. And I can't wait to see the diversity. We've added lots of new ones. So it should be fun to mix and match in different ways. But I find that starting with smaller scale dahlias on the bodice Mm -hmm. and um, any, even if there's a cap sleeve, maybe just doing it as a fringe instead of I'm trying to add a lot of bulkiness to the mm-hmm. to the sleeve, and then getting um, growing into larger, maybe even dinner plate dahlias as you move down the skirt, so that it's uh, just proportioned better. Well, people who are listening to this will be able to see some of the photos. We'll have them in our show notes, and also um, the full the full article that we did uh, for Florist Review. And I, um, I. I'm really impressed with how this has taken off for you in that, uh, well, backing up, I think you told me that people come to Triple Wren for photo sessions and that this somehow influenced the Dahlia dresses as well, didn't it? It did because people, we have a lot of maybe high school seniors or um, newly engaged couples who will come to our farm and have their pictures taken. Uh, and I, uh, I think we were just joking once with a photographer and she said, you should try making a Dahlia dress. And <laughs> I, my wheels started turning and I thought, well, let's try it. And so um, I, we did, we did start that. And yes, people do come 
to take their pictures. And uh, we have also a Dahlia Festival each year where people can come and everyone's allowed to bring their own camera and just come and take whatever pictures they want. And we usually try to have some Dahlia dresses either on models or on mannequins displayed so people can see um, Mm. how they work Mm. and and how they look. So all of that was kind of just like fun, creative, um, great for editorial or marketing, uh, but which one would hope continues to draw people to Triple Run Farms and to buy your flowers. But now people are asking you to teach them how to make these dresses. I mean, this is sort of the education component of your business, right? That's right. (laughs) I love it. It's so great. How is that working? (laughs) It's working really well. So I've done um, a few one-on-one masterclasses. They're always super fun and rewarding. And my, um, the florist, terribly afraid of trying to glue anything to address first thing in the morning. And then by the time we're done in the afternoon, they feel confident and ready to do it themselves. And I, I love to watch that. I love to watch them take ownership of the design from the, from the beginning mm. when they're not quite sure to the end when they're like, Oh, and if we did this and if we did that, and I, it's so, it's such a wonderful creative medium. I love watching them do it. So we're going to continue offering those master classes this summer. If anyone's interested, there's links on our website and probably Deborah, you said maybe in your show notes yep. too. Yep. And then also we are going to um, be doing a group session of multiple, probably multiple Dahlia dresses at our Dahlia camp, which is, Although it's got the word camp in it. This is a camp for adults. It's going to be super fun in, in September. Uh-huh. And so that is, do you find that, uh, I know you've mentioned to me that you've had um, like mother daughters just doing something for fun yeah. all the way up to professional florists who want to learn the techniques so that they can incorporate it into their own offerings. Um, will Dahlia Camp be a little bit more for the pro or do you know yet? Yes, yeah, so the Dahlia. Yeah, I do. So Dahlia Camp is designed for people who want to learn more about growing dahlias and how mm. to use them practically in their lives. Mm. So I think that it's it's really available to teach how we grow dahlias, how we design with dahlias. And then also we want to talk, I am very passionate about talking about self-care for the flower farmer. <laughs> um, I, I, I think that I have failed greatly in this way and learned a lot. And I want to share that we, we have all kinds of fun sessions. And one of them is a group design session so that people can learn. And we will have models who, who will be prepared to wear these dresses and have a um, editorial photo shoot right at sunset at mm. golden hour. Um, actually our, our, our campers will be doing sunset yoga with a wonderful local um, instructor while the photographers and the models are elsewhere on our farm having this editorial photo shoot and then everyone who participated in building those dresses will have images that they can use for their own marketing and to show what they can do and what they've learned so it should be a wonderful thing well is that like a i know you can't really do overnights right now but is it like a full day so this uh, we can't do overnights we've had to cancel all of our overnight things in july and august but we are hopeful that we should be able to do them in September. So this diet camp involves glamping tents and farm fresh food grown right here at Triple Ren, prepared right here at Triple Ren. And um, it's, you can read all about it on our website. Oh my gosh. I, I'm so excited that I get to go. <laughs> I hope you get to go and enjoy yourself, but um, I have a feeling you're going to maybe be the boss. <laughs> and you'll be I teaching. I get to be the boss lady, yep. <laughs> well, I, you know, you've been doing events for the public um, ever since basically that's been in your DNA because when you and Steve first started farming, didn't you have an apple orchard business that you were managing? Yes. yes we were managing someone else's apple orchard. Yes. So you've kind of learned, okay, what is it like to create an event to bring people onto your farm and the blueberries and the pumpkins kind of already have their own events. And so now you're just letting the flowers have, it sounds like you've done this for a couple yeah. of years. Yes, we have. And the Dahlia Festival is one of my favorite days at the farm. It is just the afternoon from 12 to 5, and people come by the thousands to our farm to walk in the Dahlias and take pictures and hear short lectures and get tours. And um, we also do our pre-sale for our Dahlia tubers that day so people can come and um, order. Those Dahlia tubers don't get shipped until the next spring, but they can come and and it's it's kind of like window shopping for dahlias. It's mm. really hard to resist when you're standing right in front of a gorgeous dahlia plant that you really want to see in your garden next year. So it's um it's been it's been really fun. And we have live music and um, usually some kind of ice cream truck and lots of um, a coffee truck. Usually <laughs> yeah. lots of fun things. We usually 
um, have quite a number of people. And it is an awesome way for Steve and I to just stand in the middle of it and get a feel for our community that loves flowers. People do travel to it, but it's also something that our local communities come to see what are those crazy flower farmers doing, and they get to meet us and talk with us, and it's been a great experience. What are those pay bodies doing out there in uh, <laughs> in that field in Ferndale? <laughs> yep. So where are your flowers sold, Sarah? Uh, I know you have a lot of outlets. So we do primarily wholesale our flowers. We sell them to big wholesalers like um, Washington Floral and Cascade Wholesale in Everett, Washington. But we also sell directly to Whole Foods markets and we sell to metropolitan markets. We sell just straight bunch dahlias and we make sure that we um, have hundreds and hundreds of those going out, buckets and buckets every week so that when those dahlias are on, those stores can be packed full of them. Wow. And those are the, those are for the Seattle Metropolitan Market is in, is in C, the Seattle communities, and then do you sell to like the Pacific Northwest Whole Foods, or how far do you travel? Yes, so we take to we actually now pay someone else to deliver for us to the to the distribution center for Whole Foods markets, and then they distribute them to their own stores. And then we also hire a logistics company who drives to each metropolitan market that wants to carry our flowers and takes them straight there. Yeah, it's it's amazing to see how you ha- you guys have grown up with this business. No more uh, freeway wa- freeway runs for Steve at the wee hours of the morning. It sounds like that's right. You know, Steve had a, a health crisis a few years ago, and that really catalyzed growth for us because it helped us realize, you know, we can't do all of this ourselves. We need um, to preserve the time we have here at the farm and hire other people. And it was one of the best changes we've ever made. It really made it possible for us to to grow as a business when um, we are working on growing on our business more than doing all the things ourselves. Well, I think it's interesting too, where you're, you're moving large volumes of, of all cut flowers, not just dahlias, to out through wholesalers and these grocery outlets. And yet you're still creating experiences for your, your neighbors and people in Whatcom County to come experience flowers, um, through events and workshops and festivals. And I think that's kind of a nice balance. We love it. It is so refreshing when usually at the end of the season, when the farm is its prettiest, we can welcome in our community. It makes us feel grounded, especially since Steve and I grew up in the Southeastern United States. um, And we are sort of, not sort of, we are Pacific Northwest transplants. (laughs) So every year we feel like we have more connections. We know more people. Um, It makes us feel like we're with our family, which is really priceless. Well, this this was the year you were going to, I don't know, have some weddings, maybe ones that make money, and have a lot of agritourism and events, some of them new for, for you this year. Um, and now COVID is still, you know, in our atmosphere and is still, um, you know, we're very early in our phased reopening in Washington State. Um, and you're, it sounds like you're super attentive to that and you know what you can do when, but how are you adapting? How are you drawing from resilience, uh, to like not sit down in a fetal position and cry? I mean, it's just, it's tough. (laughs) Well, Uh, I won't say, I won't say I haven't been there, Deborah, (laughs) (laughs) but I haven't stayed there. Good. Gotten up. Yeah. So it has been crushing to, to have such amazing or what felt like amazing plans and then have them all changed. But my problems are nothing compared to some of the other struggles we have in our world. And we have been able to pivot in ways that I think are essential. So for example, we usually have a community blueberry party on the first day that our blueberries are open for you pick. And we have Um, live music and fun treats for everyone. And um, we just have, it's a big festive um, blast. Mm. We can't have that this year. We're Mm -hmm. not allowed in July to have that many people here at our farm. So we're changing. We're just doing um, you pick without the party and we're just communicating it clearly to everyone. I think that's been a big piece of it is just um, communicating. We can't have this overnight retreat that we planned. So we are going to do this instead. And our community has been overall very supportive. Um, we do actually 
attract quite a number of customers for our open farm events from across the border in Canada, and that border is closed. Mm. So we're it's still yet to see how that's going to affect our situation this summer, but um, we are trying to pack as much as we can into late summer when hopefully the phases in Washington State will be so that we can allow be allowed to have lots more people mm-hmm. in one place at one time. And we're just trying to um, take it one step at a time. We changed our flower therapy and sunset yoga workshops to be socially distanced. We're working closely with our instructor and making sure we observe the guidelines that not just the CDC, but also our Whatcom County health authorities are putting out so that we are safe. And uh, I do think that we're going to be able to continue with quite a number of our things, even though we've had to cancel some of the overnight and close quarter activities. Well, you know, I was just talking with somebody. I was working on a project on a flower farm um, last month, and uh, the photographer, the videographer, was very worried about you know being exposed and you know her health and all. And I, I said to her, "We're on a ten-acre farm. There's four of us working on this project. We are so much safer than if we were shopping for groceries at Trader Joe's." And I mean, mm-hmm. it's just like you have got this open. Beautiful, open, wide, you know, good airflow, sunshine, you know, like you can, you can socially distance people and do your events. I, I love hearing about that. Well, we're excited. We've, we've, I think that we've figured out ways to do it in a creatively, but also in a way that's fun. Mm. Um, and, and it, it all, it really does boil down to communication. Um, for example, um, with our sunset yoga class, um, we're doing one in July. And in my language that's going out to everyone, I joke about the fact that um, that they are very welcome to wear masks, that we will have masks available, but that they are not required to wear masks. And so um, we will all agree ahead of time to not cast any evil eyes at one another, no matter what personal choices everyone mm. makes. Mm. <laughs> you know, and, 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 and I'm not making light of it at all, but no. in just purposely making my language a little bit silly. Mm -hmm. Um, What I'm doing is giving everyone a chance to just take a breath and a reality check and say, okay, this is what we're going to do. And also we have non-refundable policies for all of our registration, but we have reversed that for every single thing this summer. And if someone's not healthy enough to come or feels uncomfortable about the situation, they always can get a 100% refund from us. So um, making those kind of policies, and I think um, we are certainly not the only ones doing this. I see this um, echoing what I see from um, people who are foraging the path and going ahead. And I, I really appreciate the people that I see who are, who are navigating this wisely. And I want to do it too. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's, well, you talked about not having a contingency plan, but COVID has forced you to do it in real time, but maybe that will serve you well going forward. I think it absolutely will. I think being able to pivot in any situation is good. So um, I do have deep set fears that what if no one has the income to buy flowers this summer? I don't think that's happening. As I listen to reports of people who are selling all the flowers that they grow, I I am hopeful. But because of that, Steve and I added about 10,000 extra um, dahlias that are specifically for tubers thinking, okay, we need to keep our business afloat. So if we don't sell as many cut flowers, we hope that we can um, push our market into more dahlia tubers for this spring and, and just being able to, to be flexible and remain flexible as the season goes on is going to be key to us surviving, I think. Wow. Well, bless you both. This is just, uh, you know, as I said earlier, in real time, we're all just making it up as we go along, but trying to be thoughtful Absolutely. about it and trying to be um, kind of kind to yourself and just know that sometimes you'll make a decision that you have to change and reverse. I know I've been right. looking at that myself. Um, goodness. Well, before we go, you did talk about the Sunset Yoga workshop, but you also mentioned flower therapy. And I really want to unpack that and just hear what that is, because it sounds, it's a perfect term. I'm like, sign me up. I, it, it must be good. <laughs> well, it's funny because I planned this well before anything happened with um, COVID and we all need flower therapy right now for sure. But um, it, the, the roots of this exist in my sweet friend, Maggie, who lost her mom last year, coming out to the farm just to spend time in the peaceful atmosphere. And I picked a couple of buckets of flowers with her and we sat at my picnic table and we deconstructed them. We, we took the heads off and we made a beautiful flat lay. And then I photographed it and photographed her with it. We did it about three times. She loved it so much. And she has those images um, of really 
amazing beauty to see one kind of flower in so many different stages of being opened. And then later we did more involved flat lays and just the, the tactile playing with flowers and, and, and smelling them and being so intimate with them is a very relaxing and sweet therapeutic thing. I'm certainly not a licensed counselor, (laughs) but I know that there is a lot of benefit to just immersing yourself in beauty. So this summer we're offering classes where people can come and get a few hundred blooms. Um, Each person who registers, I chat with them ahead of time to talk with them about what colors and kinds of flowers they particularly, those, what resonates with Mm -hmm. them so that they can have a unique experience, but something that's really special to them. And then we're going to deconstruct those flowers and I'm going to give them instructions on how to make a flat light. We're going to make them and we're going to photograph them and they'll get images to take home. And then if they can't bear to take the heads off all their flowers, they can take the rest home in a vase. (laughs) (laughs) But it's a, you know, it's a little shocking to realize that you have to destroy this to make this very temporal art, Mm -hmm. but um, extremely beautiful and something that they could easily reprint and hang on their wall to remember this time. And it's not only for grieving people. That's just the roots of it. It's for anyone who wants to come and just be refreshed in the peacefulness of our farm. Is it one-on-one actually? No, it's, it's small groups. Mm. I teach this class and then I do have some helpers, Mm. but um, because of social distancing requirements, we have stations set up at least six feet away from each other. And I'll stand at the front and give instructions and then, um, my crew will be wearing um, PPE so that we are um, abiding by the guidelines so that we can help each person individually. Um, we have a good plan, and I hope that it works. We're doing a dry run beforehand to make sure mm-hmm. that it all flows as smoothly as I think. But, you know, I just feel like it's um, it can be such a, a healing thing to spend time with beauty, whether it's the beauty of food, if that's your thing, or the beauty of flowers, or the beauty of of a hike or something like that, just where you can get into nature, something bigger than yourself and something that is really going to help your heart be less anxious. That's what I'm looking for. That's beautiful. I love it. This has been so wonderful, Sarah. I, we've, we always say we're going to get together and we never have enough time to do it. So I guess we had to get on a podcast to um, have this conversation to share with everybody else. Um, (laughs) It, I'm thrilled that we could showcase your Dahlia dresses as part of American Flowers Week. Thank you for supporting me in that project. And um, I would encourage anyone listening to follow the links that I'll have in our show notes so you can maybe come be part of Dahlia Camp or, or you know attend one of the other events at Triple Run Farms and find and follow Sarah and Steve Paybody because they're doing some really inspiring flower work. And it means a lot to me to have you as a friend. Thank you, Deborah. Your friendship is precious to me too. And I truly appreciate you having me on the podcast. Your tireless work for flower farmers and florists who are working with American grown flowers is a total inspiration to me. And from the moment I met you, you have been nothing but gracious and kind. And I thank you so much for that influence in my life. Oh, thanks. We've been on this journey together. It's been great. Thank you so much. And uh, we'll share lots of photos so people can see what Sarah and I've been talking about in today's show notes. And um, it maybe it'll inspire people to try to do something during American Flowers Week, which uh, is coming right up. And we're giving them a little preview uh, to talking about these beautiful Dahlia dresses. So thanks, Sarah. Right. I appreciate you, Deborah. Thanks again. Back at you. Take care. Bye-bye. You too. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for joining today's conversation. Our next sponsor thanks goes to Rooted Farmers. Rooted Farmers works exclusively with local growers to put the highest quality specialty cut flowers in floral customers' hands. When you partner with Rooted Farmers, you are investing in your community and you can expect a commitment to excellence in return. Learn more at rootedfarmers.com. There's a lot happening coming up in the month of June, and I'm so excited to invite you to join us in these opportunities. First off, on June 12th, we will hold our monthly Slow Flowers member virtual meetup, an online gathering of florists, growers, farmer florists, and supporters launched in late March. The virtual meetups have moved from weekly to monthly and will now continue as a regular event on the second Friday of each month. 
Join me and the Slow Flowers community at our next gathering on Friday, June 12th. Same time as before, 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern. You can find the link to join in today's show notes or through other regular channels, including the Linktree menu that appears in our Instagram profile at MySlowFlowers. Next, on June 24th, please join me for a virtual book launch party to celebrate the publication of our new book, Slow Flowers Journal, Volume 1. 80 Slow Flowers members are featured in its pages, and we will share a big reveal of this beautiful 128-page book published by our partners at Wildflower Media and Florist Review. The all-virtual launch party and happy hour will take place at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern, on Wednesday, June 24th, and we'll welcome many special guests who appear in the pages of the Slow Flowers Journal. If you want to grab your own copy, our bookstore is open for orders, and you can find that link in today's show notes as well. Finally, please plan on participating in the 6th Annual American Flowers Week, June 28th through July 4th. I hope Sarah Paybody's Dahlia Dress Project inspires you to create beauty with your flowers and your creative community. Use your flowers to communicate a message of beauty, sustainability, wellness, and inclusion, and help us promote domestic floral agriculture across the U.S. You can find all sorts of free resources at AmericanFlowersWeek.com. For members only, you can order our red, white, and blue bouquet labels to use during the weeks leading up to American Flowers Week. I'll share that link in today's show notes, too. I hope to see you online with photos and videos and in live displays of your American Flowers. Please use the hashtag American Flowers Week to help us find and highlight your talents. Our final sponsor thanks goes to Johnny's Selected Seeds, an employee-owned company that provides our industry with the best flower, herb, and vegetable seeds, supplied to farms large and small, and even backyard cutting gardens like mine. Find the full catalog of flower seeds and bulbs at johnnysseeds.com. The Slow Flowers podcast has been downloaded more than 612,000 times by listeners like you. Thank you for listening, commenting, and sharing. It means so much. As our movement gains more supporters and more passionate participants who believe in the importance of the American cut flower industry, the momentum is contagious. I know you feel it too. I value your support and invite you to show your thanks with a donation to support my ongoing advocacy, education, and outreach activities. You can find the donate button in the column to the right at deborahprinzing.com. I'm Deborah Prinzing, host and producer of the Slow Flowers Podcast. Next week, you're invited to join me in putting more American-grown flowers on the table, one vase at a time. And if you like what you hear, please consider logging onto iTunes and posting a listener review. The content and opinions expressed here are either mine alone or those of my guests alone, independent of any podcast sponsor or other person, company, or organization. The Slow Flowers Podcast is engineered and edited by Andrew Brenlin. Learn more about his work at soundbodymovement.com.